if you're here this morning, more than likely you know the series that we're in. We're in the series called Rooted, and we're looking at the book of Romans. And out of all the books of the Bible, you know, a lot of people would say, and I would agree, that Romans is the very foundation or is an important book in understanding the foundation of our faith. And if you've been here through February, well, then you've had the opportunity also to walk with us through Romans 8. And I would contend that Romans 8, this chapter, is probably the best chapter in the whole book of the Bible. Pastor Paul may challenge me on that later, but because we're here and we get to cover this together, this is great. You know, it, I don't know why this is, but, but many times when God calls us to look into something or study something, it's because he wants to do something in our own hearts. And in this, going through this passage and, and studying this, it has really challenged me. Um, because, I'll be perfectly honest, I haven't been in the best state of mind over the past months or so. Just being discouraged. Discouragement is something that all of us deal with and all of us confront. And I'm just so thankful for the reinforcement that, that we hear here and um, that we're going to cover today. But I don't want this just to be information because we live in, everyone says, we live in the information age. There is so much information out there. I can take my cell phone and find out just about any, the answer to just about any question that you give me. The problem is, is that we're just saturated with so much information that we don't know how to contend with the truth and understand what, that, what is true in the information that's given to us. So this morning... I would challenge you, don't just collect information, but allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart, because I believe there's a word in this passage for each one of us to challenge us in our walk with God in those times that we have doubted, that we have questioned, that we have been frustrated by the struggles of this life. It's important that we understand what we are learning and that we understand who God is, what he has done for us, and what he has in store for us. Quick review. Uh, the beginning of the book of Romans, we, we talked about justification. And this is so important. And we sang about this here. Where justification is God placing his righteousness on us. He declares us righteous. It's nothing that I have done other than accepting that gift of salvation. And God declares, you are righteous. It doesn't change. It doesn't change what I have done. But in his sight, because of what Christ did on Calvary, he declares you and I as a follower of Christ, he declares us righteous. So Romans 8 starts at the beginning. No condemnation. And we'll see when we're finished here today, at the end, there is no separation. When we are walking with God the Father, there is no condemnation and there is no separation. This week has, or or this month, we've covered it in four different sections. 
And it makes me think of like a relay. Anyone here who, who has done track and, and her daughter ran track at North Penn and, and uh, was part of many relay teams. They went to states and would go to Penn relays. And it was always fun to watch what would happen during these relays. And each runner would run their distance. And, and typically she would run in a, a, a four by four which uh, for Trent, that, that's a 4 by 400 It's not a 4 by 4 beam, okay? So, so she, they would, and that's a full lap of the track. And each runner would run that with all that they had and, um, and then pass the baton to the next one. So it sort of feels like this. This month, there's, you know, the baton gets passed and, and we get to run this, um, this leg of the race. So let's look at the first leg. The first leg, Andy did a great job at, um, at explaining, but wait, there's more. That there is new life. That the Holy Spirit is available to us. We don't have to walk this life alone. But the power of the Holy Spirit helps each of us to follow Jesus. The second leg, Pastor Matt Um, talked about we are adopted into God's family. We are adopted. Can you believe this? The king of the universe adopts you and me into his family and calls us heirs, and we get to call him Father, Abba, Father. We have a new identity. And then third leg, Pastor Rob, talked about there being a new hope, us looking toward heaven. We sang about this also in, in this last song, how, wow, our eyes are looking toward heaven. We have a hope, an eternal hope, a new hope. And so, I don't know about you, but many times I long for that, to be in the presence of God where there are no struggles. I don't think we can imagine it. What it would be like to not have any sin, to not be tempted but to be in the presence and worshiping God Almighty. But you know, many times we leave this part out. We don't have that eternal perspective. Instead, our eyes look around us and we, be, and we become discouraged by the world around us. And in fact, many times we try to build security in the world that we live in that does not hold up. And we do that, I believe, because we don't really understand who God is. We don't understand what he's done for us. And we don't really understand what he has planned for us. So my prayer this morning is that we get to absorb this, that we take this to heart. It doesn't just enter our mind, but it infiltrates our heart. And then we have the opportunity to respond. So the Apostle Paul here, I I think he gets it. He understands us. He knows that we're so easy to forget. And we need to be reminded of who God is. And so today, if you would, open up your your Bibles, and and we're going to cover this last section of chapter 8. And it's in Romans 8, 31 through 39. And I would challenge you, sharpen your steak knife, 
because we're going to dig into an incredibly juicy steak. The other night, I, I had an amazing steak, and it, it was, I, I hope I'm not offending any vegetarians here, but I had a great, <laughs> I had a great steak. It was nice and thick and juicy. You know, it was just warm on the inside. You know what I'm talking about. So sharpen your knife, and let's dig into this, because God's Word is incredible. It has power, and um, we get to chew on His Word. We get to chew it, we swallow it, we digest it, and it will nourish our spiritual bodies. So let's walk this out together. So what's the last leg of a, of a relay race usually called? The fourth leg. What do they call it? An anchor leg, that's right. But here, I'm not the one running it. We're all running this together, okay? So let's, let's run this anchor leg together. And starting in Romans 8, um, verse 31 through 39, and let's just read this whole passage together. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him graciously, give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons... Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your word that is truth, that you, God Almighty, are reliable. Thank you for the privilege it is to be able to read your word together, to dig deep in the truths that you have in your word. And Father, may we have enough courage to place it in our hearts and to walk it out. We love you, Jesus. Amen. In 1932, there was a major construction project, uh, and we know it today as the uh, Golden Gate Bridge. Anyone here ever been across the Golden Gate Bridge? Amazing. It's um, about 100, or it's about 1.7 miles long, and it spans between uh, San Francisco over the strait that connects uh, San Francisco Bay with the Pacific Ocean. So this project was started in 19. 32. It took a little more than four years for them to build this. 
And the cost of the bridge at that time was $32 million, which is actually pretty cheap, I think. But $32 million. Back then, for major construction projects, there was a rule of thumb that was applied to it. For every million dollars, there would be one loss of life through an accident or something that would happen. And so there was a gentleman, uh, Joseph Strauss, who was the chief engineer, who was responsible for the construction of this bridge. And, um, And he did an interesting thing. Under the bridge, he stretched a safety net that extended the whole length of the bridge and protruded 10 feet out beyond each side. And this safety net was there to catch any steel worker who was working on that bridge that lost uh, his balance because there were gusts of wind and there's a lot of fog in that area also. So it was a very dangerous um, environment. And so he had this net placed there, $130,000, which is pretty cheap for a safety net. <laughs> and, uh, and so he, he stretched this net out there, and he, he, um, it, it ultimately saved the lives of 19 men. 19 of these construction workers um, fell, off, or fell off that bridge and were caught in this net. So I look at this and I go, well, why didn't they just make the bridge cheaper? All right, some of you got that. But so he stretched this out. Here's the interesting part about this is that the bridge was finished ahead of schedule and under budget. And we go, why? Why was that? I think you're tracking with me. Because the workers, the guys working on that bridge, their focus was no longer of fear and of uncertainty, but they knew that there was a net extending out under this bridge that if they lost their balance or if a gust of wind blew them off, that they would be caught by this bridge. And so their reliance and their focus was no longer on them being worried about their safety, but they knew that there was a a net under them uh, to, to catch them. So they didn't get bogged down, but their confidence was in that net. And so it is with us, huh? So many times we get distracted and we start looking at these things that are fearful to us. And we lose track of what God wants to do in each of our lives and wants to do through us And we become paralyzed by the fear, by the uncertainty around us. And there's a lot of it. And our focus becomes on those things and not on what God the Father has done and wants to do and what he has for us. So in this passage, uh, the Apostle Paul addresses five questions. And how many of you know, many times, if you ask a pointed question, it is better than telling the person the exact answer, right? And we see Jesus did this also with parables. He would, he would tell a story, and it would challenge people to think. And so 
our goal this morning is to go through these questions and, uh, and dig deep and research and, and go, okay, what is Scripture here really asking and what is Paul trying to communicate? So we start out with question one, and this is in, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Church, people all over the world are asking this question. They are asking the question, first, is there a God? And then the second question, if there is a God, is he for me? Or is he against me? Or is he neutral? Doesn't he really, or doesn't he really care about what is happening? Pastor Matt uh, had a, a great quote here. He said, how we view God determines how we live life. And it's so true. Do we view God as someone who's going to beat us over the head if we step out of line? as an authoritarian, or do we view God as a loving father who's going to encourage us and, and place us on the right path? In this verse, it says, if God is for us, believe here the Apostle Paul is actually making a statement. He's saying, since God, since God is for us, who can be against us? And this is the most fundamental truth in God's word. And that is, God is for us. God is not against us. God is not neutral. Can the devil stand against us? No, he's been defeated. And a little shout out to our Friday night uh, student group that meets for dinner um, this past Friday evening, we, we talked about this. You know, does Jesus have power over the enemy? Actually, the question was, does the enemy have any power over Christ? And we talked about how on Calvary, you know, Satan didn't kill Jesus. If we look at it, he hung on the cross and he said, it is finished. And he gave his life up willingly. So can the devil stand against us? No. He has been defeated. Can the world destroy us? No. Because Jesus has overcome the world. And we see this in John 16, 33. Jesus says, I have, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Church, Jesus has overcome the world. It does not matter who is against us. God is for us. So the second question, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? There's a... There's a comparison here. You know, God did the hardest thing, right? He gave up everything by sending his son so that we could be in right relationship with him. And then the question is, well, 
then will he give us the small things? And in Romans 5, uh, we, we see this. Uh, it, it was earlier in, the, in our study here in Romans 5. It says that in verse 6, You see, at just the right time when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Let's skip to verse 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let me give an example. The other month, my son went over here to Kohler's Jeweler in Lansdale. And, um, and he went there to buy a ring. And um, so he bought this ring. And he wanted a nice little box, you know, to put this ring in. And um, guess what? They didn't charge him anything for that. Because he made the big purchase and that small purchase. Yeah, they're willing to get. Yeah, she did say yes. And she, <laughs> yeah. and she's a, yeah, it's a wonderful, she's a wonderful young lady. And wow, what a new season of life we're walking through. But the point here is, God gave everything, and so why do we doubt that he will take care of these small things? In in Matthew 6, God talks about, or uh, Matthew writes about how, you know, if God cares for the sparrows, you know, why wouldn't he be concerned about the little things in, in our lives also? And we're not talking about material things necessarily because God's priority is not in things what's he after he's after our heart he cares more about our spiritual well-being and he wants us to be faithful and he wants us to be secure in who we are spiritually and he wants to grow our spiritual man But you know, so many times we forget about those little things. I don't know about you, but there are so many times that God has done amazing things in my life, and I can't remember them. <laughs> or am I the only one? The, the other, even this week, I was like, oh, that's right, I forgot all about that. Uh, it, it was a little less than three years ago. I was in my office one morning. And um, wrapping up work and, and, and trying to finish up some things in the morning because we were headed down to CHOP with Zach to sign the papers uh, to commit to transplant. And it was heavy. And I was like, wow, okay, let me get this done. And, you know, how sometimes you just walk things out. And um, my cell phone, there was, a, there was a call on my cell phone. And I didn't recognize the number or or the state where it was from, so I just left it go. So after I finished up, I checked the voicemail. And it was, uh, it's an organization that that Diane and I had partnered with. And and here it was someone from that organization calling and saying, hey, we just want to reach out to people who have partnered with us. Is there anything that we can pray with you about today? I just sat there and bawled. I just cried. And I'm like, dear God, how would this lady, how would this organization even know 
what I am walking through in that moment. And I still have, I still have that voice message on my phone. I can't delete it, and I saved the audio file because it is so important. And I would challenge you, when God does those things, and he has, and most of you know that he has, but when God does those, those God moments, write it down. Because the enemy wants to steal it. He wants to take it away. And those things just build us up so much. So make a list. Also, my father-in-law. I love this guy because he's, he's original. Um, but one thing... I love him. But, but one thing that he has said, he said, in the past couple months, he's making a list of things that cannot be taken from him. Things that no one can take from him. So I challenge you, think about those things. This afternoon at dinner or at, at lunch or when you spend time with your family, Talk about that. What are some things that no one can take from you? Can't take your security. They can't take your relationships or the memories, I'll say, that you have. There are a lot of things that the enemy can't take. Moving on, question three, verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. It is God who justifies. So picture with me a courtroom. And, and that's what the Apostle Paul is, is painting here, the image of a courtroom. It's the throne of God, and here comes Satan. And who is Satan? He is the accuser. And he walks into the courtroom and he goes, hey, you know, that guy Kevin, man, he is the biggest screw-up How about that thing that he did? And Satan also is the deceiver. Because many times, we don't need the enemy being in the courtroom telling God how bad we are. So many times, Satan gets at us, and we are our worst enemy. And he discourages us, and he points out those things that we have done in our past And there are some things from years ago when I was a teenager, when I was a kid, that Satan still wants to prompt and prod me with. And I've had to consciously sit down, write it out, and go, I am forgiven. That is no longer over my head. But what does the the last part of verse 33 say? It is God who justifies. Yeah, God knew what a jerk I was. (laughs) He knew what a jerk I will become. Well, and he knows every mistake that you and I have made. He didn't go into this, nothing takes him by surprise, I'll say, but he didn't go into it blind. He knew what he was getting. He knew what he was what he sent his son to retrieve and to save. 
He justifies us. We talked about it. He places the righteousness of Christ on each of us. And he says, you are justified. You are righteous in my sight. So Satan has no power in front of the judge, almighty God. Question 4, verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who raised to life, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So let's break down what this, what this verse is saying. It is asking the question, who is the one that condemns us? And Paul breaks this down and he says, Jesus died. He paid the price for sin completely. He says, Jesus rose again. He defeated Satan once and for all. Jesus ascended. He is seated at the right hand of God Almighty. He has power and authority. Jesus intercedes for us in heaven. He is our advocate. Romans 8, 1 Andy started this off. There is no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So church, not only is the God of the universe our judge, but also we have an advocate through Jesus. And if we look at the previous verses to this, not only do we have an advocate in Jesus, but also it says the Holy Spirit is our advocate with groans. I don't know about you, but there are times where I can't put words to it, where you just feel like there is, no, I, I don't know how to ask you, God, but I need your help here. And that's what he's talking about here, those groans, those unidentifiable words, that prayer language that the Holy Spirit gives us, both in times of of mourning, but also in times of praise, that we can just reach the throne of God without any hindrance. And so this morning, we have the Holy Spirit as an advocate. We have Jesus as an advocate Jesus is the only one who can condemn us. And what does John 3.17 say? It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn us, but to save the world through him. God sent Jesus to save, not condemn. So I think if we take some time and and we look at who is this advocate, who is this person, Jesus, that represents us before God the Father. And in in Hebrews 4, it talks about, "For for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have an amazing advocate. You know, so many times when someone is speaking for us, we go, wait, wait, do you really understand? Do you really understand what I'm going through? And here we see that, that Jesus, yes, he walked this life. He took on human form and flesh, and he identifies with every struggle, every pain that you and I encounter in this life. Jesus is our advocate, and he does not condemn us. The last question, question five. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. There's a list here that if we're honest with ourselves, in our Western culture, with our affluence, we don't really deal with much. But we do experience struggles and pain. I don't know about you, but there are times when I ask Why did God allow that? Why did God allow these things to happen in my life? Why did God allow my child to be sick? Why did God allow my wife to have cancer? Why did God allow my mom to die last month in a nursing home all by herself? You guys have the same things too in your life. I can imagine where you have asked, God, why did you allow this? It's a healthy question. Don't be discouraged when you ask that. Because he's a loving father. He's all about relationship. And I believe in Philippians 2, this is part of us working out our faith. Working out our salvation understanding more and more who God is and what he has for us. So talk it out with him. Now I challenge you, don't turn your back on him when you're talking it out with him because if any of you have small children or maybe teenagers and when you're having that conversation with them and what happens? Does this only happen in my house? But they they turn around and start walking away, and you're like, wait a minute, I'm still talking to you. (laughs) So I would challenge you, do not turn your back on God, but talk it out with him. Tell him how frustrated you are. Tell him what it feels like, because we have an advocate through Jesus who is going to represent us before the throne of God And God is a loving God. He wants to care for you. And he will walk us through these tough times and through those times of disappointment and struggle. So what do we see in this? 
Church, God is for you. God is for you. And let's face it, those trials and those struggles, they actually make us stronger. It's like going to the gym and lifting weights. Your muscles get stronger. The more that we work these things out with God our Father and the Holy Spirit living in us, it builds our spiritual man and makes us stronger. So worship team, if you guys would come up. Now this last part of this section, I don't know, how many of you have, have gone to a, um, a fireworks display, right? And there are all these fireworks, and what happens at the end? All of a sudden there's this, all these big ones going off, and what, what do they call it? It's like the... Uh, Finale, thank you. It's, it's the grand finale at the end of a fireworks display. And they have these big white, whatever, kabooms, and they hit you in the chest. All right? And it's, it's not these frilly, you know, little things that look like uh, palm trees or blooming flowers. But these are the big kabooms that make an impact on you. So this next section, hang on, because these are the kabooms. All right? So verse 37, Paul says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Moving to verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you feel those explosions right in our chest? No death, no angels, no demons, no the, not even the passing of time or distance. Nothing in creation can separate you and me from the love of our Father. He's making it available to us. Do we understand that? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. He has more than conquered the enemy. He has more than conquered. So like those steel workers on the Golden Gate Bridge, their focus was no longer on the fear of falling in the water over 200 feet below. But their focus was on the job at hand. Their focus was on a... I'm sorry. Our focus should be on a loving Father that cares for us, that has us. He's got us. We don't need to be fearful. So in closing, we're going to sing a song and then 
we'll follow up with some challenges. Church, this morning we have the opportunity to declare who God is in worship. So stand with me and let's sing.